Foxes is a time capsule that nails with precision the leap between the 1970s and 80s, showing how teenagers of that era were essentially children living like adults. Themes of the impact of divorce, the sexual revolution, the popularity of drug culture are all embedded in this film. And once again, if you're a whore, you will die. <laughs> this is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. Foxes is about four 16-year-old best friends living in the valley in 1979. And there's no other point to it besides that. <laughs> I, you know... That's it. <laughs> it. You are correct, but I, I do think that the movie is such a slice of life. Of, I mean, it just takes you back to 1979 in every way. Every single thing in that film, every moment breathes of what it was like to be alive in 1979. I mean, Cherie Curry's hairstyle, for example, that the, 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 the feathered hair on top and the stick straight on bottom, the way that the girls dressed, sometimes wearing like leotard uh, type disco clothes or skin tight tube top sort of situations and I and by the way like how they were all so skinny like this is what yeah. I keep telling you how skinny everybody well, was back then well there's that one character she's not fat and she's not but she's yeah. not skinny right right and who what is she the dork yeah I mean that's Hollywood depictions but that that feels like everything is just exactly right but but part of it is taking you back to what was happening to teenagers at the time. I think the film is about teens growing up too young and too fast. And the, the you know, whether it was this or Little Darlings, which is a different version of the same story, I think this is by far the better story, mm -hmm. um, uh, the more responsible story, interestingly enough, um, because I think it's about how alarmed adults were that teens were many adults. I mean, Sally Kellerman's character... Um, uh, says, the mother of Jeannie, Jodie Foster's character, says something like, You're, you know, you guys are like little 40-year-olds, but yeah. so tough. Yeah. My kids, but you don't act like them. You're short 40-year-olds and you're tough ones. And what you see is how the girls just really weren't ready for it. They thought they were. They were living that life. When you're young, you think you can. Uh, but it wasn't just them. I mean, it was everyone around them, and that's what you saw. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, in my opinion, this just looks like anything that would happen nowadays, but just with the 79 theme. Yeah. That's like, all of that seems like they could totally happen now. Well, that's what I was curious about for you is the way in which life has changed. Um, I mean, for instance, Annie, Cherie Curry's character... Uh, was a runaway, and there's an implication that she was a prostitute while she was mm -hmm. a runaway. And the idea that you'd go away, be a prostitute, come back, go to high school, um, you know, I don't feel like that's something that your generation experiences anymore. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, you guys all live in fear of being sex trafficked. <laughs> that seems more common now, but... Yeah. Um, but but that idea, or and by the way, it was everywhere. Runaways, you know, runaways. I mean, that's the name of Shri Curry's band was the Runaways. But uh, that was something that was very loud and and discussed and was happening were teenage runaways, and that a lot of times the girls would wind up being prostitutes. So the fact that that's just sort of inserted in there. Mm -hmm. um, but the drugs, you know, the the way they talk yeah. and do drugs, and it's no big deal, and it's just part of their life, and you know, they're why. Sh um, why Annie, Sheree Curry's character, can't wake up in the opening scene. Yeah. Well, 
she did too many quaaludes and beer and wine, and they make fun of her of how much she just throws up in this guy's car that she doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's super, it's kind of sad when uh, her, like, one of her best friends is like, she doesn't even care if she wakes up, so don't even bother. Like, that was like, ooh. Right, but you know people like that. Well, yeah. You've had friends that you would probably say Yeah, the but same I would thing. never, no, I would never say that while they're sleeping <laughs> two feet away from me. I would not shout that in their face. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, she was sleeping, so she didn't hear it, but. Yeah. Still, it's stupid. Well, that, I mean, that may be the element that's not in the movie is suicide, which is something that is, yeah. is more um, a conversation that's happening now because there's a strong generational thing around suicide. I don't even know it's generational. It just seems to be happening. Well, a lot of people in my generation, like I've said before, we take we don't take things as seriously. So we say, like, oh, I want to kill myself, like, every single day. Well, that's <laughs> like, true. But, but in the meantime, that. there are, I mean, there there are, there seems to be an increase in suicide oh, rates yeah. right now. No, yeah. I mean, whether you're your age or... Um, older. I mean, it, it's, it seems to be happening a lot. Uh, whereas in this case, we just see that she's living her life so hard that she doesn't care if she lives or dies. Yeah. And honestly, the character saying that while she was sleeping is more an acknowledgement to us, the audience. That's usually a drug addict thing, though, because they, they, they won't, I mean, like, they probably tried to kill, she probably tried to kill herself. She's probably trying by doing a ton of quaaludes and drinking beer and wine when you probably know that you shouldn't mix those two. That's just like an addiction thing. Um, you had talked about in a previous podcast that, uh, that vaping and, um, the, the way in which teenagers are acting that seem baffling to adults now, you know, you know, vaping can kill you and yet, uh, you guys do it anyway you know certain drugs could kill you, you don't care, you do it anyway. And you had said that, you, you know, it's, it's because there's an under, there is this underlying feeling of I don't care if I live or die. Yeah. And so uh, it's really the same thing. Yeah. The other, there's, again, there's so much in this movie. I just, um... There's nothing in this no, movie. No, everything, everything is. Everything is so simple. Like, it's Okay, it's well, here's what's going to help you under... Line. Oh, this girl who does drugs and has sex with guys a lot and is all, all over them for drugs and they're abusive. She and her friends, like, hang out and they have to help her through it. And while that's happening, one of their other friends is dating a 40-something-year-old and she throws a party in his house on accident. And he gets mad at her. The thing about the film that is remarkable, though, are all of these things that you can track what was going on at the time. So, for instance, to go back to what you said about um, Madge, a 16-year-old who's having an affair with an older man, that's something that, while was not okay, was okay. Like, she marries him, right? Yeah, it wasn't the biggest deal. It wasn't the biggest deal. So the age difference, I think that's still going on right now. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't think you see 16-year-olds with 30-year-olds. Not 16-year-olds with 30-year-olds, but maybe like 18 and 40? (laughs) Oh, yeah, but that's legal, right? mm -hmm. And I think that we've really come a long way between what's legal and what's not. So, you know, there's stories about um, 
Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, a music artist who married his 13-year-old cousin in, in the 50s. And that was controversial. But apparently in the 70s, it was not that big of a deal to have that type of age difference, a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old and a man. Uh, in fact, you know, one thing that's interesting is that, he, you know, her boyfriend, Madge's boyfriend, future husband, is in the music business. And um, and Demi Moore, actually, in her autobiography, Inside Out, she writes about the fact that she, when she was 15 years old, she met a pedal steel guitar player who uh, named Tom, who'd been touring with Billy Joel, and he was 28, and they... Like, you know, and they started hanging out and they, and she moved in with him right after her 16th birthday. They moved in together. She's 16 and he's 28. And her, and his mother got her a job working at 20th Century Fox at 16 because she was living with her son, you know? So there was an acceptance that this was okay at that time. Mm-hmm. She actually, he drops her off at high school every morning. Like her dad. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just really disturbing. Um, But yeah, these attitudes existed, and that's why no one's really raising an eyebrow. They're like, yeah, there's an age difference, you know, but I love you, and that's all that matters. Age is just a number. Except for, (laughs) I think that the 18-year-old legal established age of when you can date someone, you know, I think that there's a good reason for that. Yep, definitely. There'd be a lot more pervs. A lot more. Well, the pervs still exist. Well, they still exist, but there'd be a lot more. Okay. And so this is actually why I think when you look at these... I I am no apologist for Roman Polanski, and I don't even want to say it. It makes me vomit to even suggest it. But, like, you know, the things that were going on in the late 60s, um, and you kind of see that in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too, whereas um, Brad Pitt's character knows better than to get involved with this teenage girl. But he, there's an attraction there. But he knows better than to do that. But other people didn't. And part of that is this permissiveness of the era. that there, it, it really was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll era, which is really why it's so perfect Sheree Curry was in it. Mm-hmm. Um that that stem from the late sixties of of just kind of anything goes and all of these issues which we find might feel as immoral and there were and there were people out there saying, you know, that's not okay, that's not right. But you know what? Those are probably the same people who were saying it wasn't okay to be gay. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So that the the people who were it's rebellion. Well, it is rebellion, but then beyond that, I'm saying that it's uh that there was this permissiveness that was that the society was letting these things slide that statutory rape was meh, you know or with little darlings you know how the writer said oh you know people need to realize how these teenage girls are predators and i'm like what <laughs> the the female if, writer said that we, even if we were it, if we're predators, we're predators in our own mind because we're never actually going to do anything about it, but we can dream. Like <laughs> most fantasies, like you guys have porn and then we have our imagination. Well, I, I, so it seems like. Yeah, I, I mean, it's this, this was, this is from 1980. Fox is from 1980. So this is the same year as the Blue Lagoon. Um, there was this 
idea that young girls were the sexiest and that they were really promoting girls who were underage as being sex symbols to men. So the fact that Madge is in there. And then when her boyfriend gets mad, which he has every right to be mad, I actually, there's the, the scene where he comes back and sees that the place is trashed. And she instantly jumps to, you just think we're children. And he's like, you are children. <laughs> uh, one review I was reading was talking about how differently teens and parents see this movie. And so she instantly jumps to that and gets mad and walks out um, after she's trashed. She, You know, he yeah. trusted her with his house. I mean, he could have gone to jail for that. They never get into that, which also, I think, tells us a little bit about 1979 and 1980, <laughs> the fact that that wasn't an issue. Um, but she doesn't really give him the room to be angry. And then when she leaves, and he's like, get back in here, and she's like, and, and Madge says, why? Say, so you can beat me? And he says, yes. <laughs> and then he says, please come back here so I can beat you. <laughs> I felt like in that, in that, I don't think he would actually beat her. I think that was just like a figure speech. Like yeah. that's that's on a, that's what it sounded like. I don't he was know. Like, he was like, please come back. I know, <laughs> like, so I can beat you. I know. And I was trying. I was looking to see if there was a, a levity in it that they. I, I mean, I'm like, are he you says serious? I love you. Like, well, so welcome many to times. domestic abuse. Well, yeah, but like he was like saying like, but in his defense. If you, if I was that person, I would not be at that as chilled out. Like, he wasn't as angry as I would have been. Yeah. And I would have been like, tell me the full thing. Let's talk about this. Tell me what happened. How can this not happen next time? You can't do this. Why did you think this was okay? Why didn't you kick any everyone out when you had the chance? Why didn't your friends help you? Uh-huh. There's a lot of questions that he could be asking. But I think the and first time you... And he's also way le- chill. He's way chill. He is chill. He is chill. Yeah, he's hitting things and breaking things a little bit more. But I mean, like, if you saw that, you'd be mad just the same. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, he wasn't menacing toward yeah. her. Except toward the end, he did kind of pin her up against the wall. and. But that's not... <sighs> yeah. That wasn't that bad. I don't think, I don't think that's that. I don't think that that's that That was just kind of violent. It was just sort of intimidating. Not that bad. It spooks you a little bit. Nothing too bad. (laughs) Um, But honestly, he was probably the best. Like, I I honestly rooted for him. Uh Uh-huh. Like, he wasn't gross. Like, it didn't feel gross. No? He didn't feel creepy? There was little times where I'd be like, eh. But, like, he, he, he seemed like... I thought the he was authentically he, creepy. Yeah, like, I thought he like was it, like he was like her kind of creepy though, because I feel like she couldn't get like a like a, a space on the storyline. That's what they're trying to say. She can't get a boyfriend, so she goes for like this forty something year old who's lonely, and you know. Is her I love that you think he's forty. I'm gonna go with he's twenty thirty something. Yeah, you think? I was thinking thirty something. I'm just saying forty is a. Yeah. Over exaggeration a little bit. Well, I think the idea is too is that an older man might appreciate things that younger boys yeah. are just not mature enough to no, appreciate yet. My yeah. all of my waitress friends who are in their twenties say, Stop messing with these boys and start messing with men. Just two, three years older than you. That's all you need. <laughs> like just no one because people your age suck. Right. <laughs> Everyone my age sucks. And I mean like it's not like everyone's... People are in relationships, but there definitely not a lot of people dying from a relationship. Yeah. And it's super weird nowadays with relationships because it's either like, like 
you're the, either dating or it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I There's such a difference between 18 and 21 that, personally, I say date 18-year-olds. But, but <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to sleep with them. <laughs> Is there a reason to sleep with anybody? Well, that's a no. Yeah. I mean, eventually. <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, that's a conversation they have in this movie. Better stick to the pill. You never know what you don't know, you know? From these four different female characters, we get to see all of these nuances. And one is the different ways that they're being parented. Mm -hmm. So Madge's mother is uh, sort of very puritanical, throws a party for her daughter, but allows the younger... I assume that's her 16th birthday party that they're throwing. Yeah, I didn't know what they were doing. And then the idea is that, no, but your little sister can invite all of her friends for a sleepover and is so thrilled to find out her daughter is a virgin and then berates her when she cries and throws herself on her bed that her mom has upset her so much. So, um, And then that contrasts with Jeannie, who is parentified. I mean, you know, she's from a divorced family. The dad, which, by the way, this is written by a male writer, and he got a lot of it from hanging out with his daughter and his daughter's friends. So there is a thing writers do where they might project themselves onto a character, and it's sort of them. And there's no doubt that Jeannie is his daughter Mm -hmm. in his eyes, right? She's the sane one in the middle of all the crazy. And uh, that he is Jeannie's dad. Because Jeannie's dad is the one adult who's pretty awesome, right? (laughs) He can't be around. His job makes him tour all over the world. I wish I was there for you. Here, do you need more child support? And when I'm there, you get to go to concerts and bring all All, of your friends. All of your friends can come. I'm so awesome. Uh, And so, and and, you know, and, and then when she hugs him, right, she's... You see that wishfulness that, oh, I love my dad, and I just wish I had more time with him. And so we know more about her character, but also only doubles down on how awesome he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then her mother is is struggling, and her mother is has gone back to school, a divorcee, makes a comment, and she says, I'm like all the divorced, desperate UCLA undergraduates. And we both looked at each other. That's a group. (laughs) That's a group. Divorce, desperate UCLA undergraduates. But apparently it was because divorce was not just, it was new, but it was also rampant. Mm -hmm. And people were getting divorced, you know, and it had to do with women's liberation and wanting to find themselves. And uh, which, by the way, cut to Cherie Curry's real life story. Uh, where she was a the, uh, in the first female rock band, but also the first teen rock band. And, um, and her mother, going to go find herself, followed a guy to Indonesia that she was in love and like left her kids and left her kids behind, you know, with their dad. And then, you know, she got invited to have a recording contract, and dad's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, all right, why not? And she goes on tour at 15. And bad things happened as yeah. a result, as you would now expect, right? Yeah. Now we would be like, that's a really bad idea to send her without parental supervision. But then they were like, yeah, there's some adults and they'll look out for her, right? No. Adults no. are not nice people most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but we can see, back to Jeannie and her mother, played by Sally Kellerman, we can see that, you know, it's not that her mother doesn't love her. 
her mother clearly does love her. Um, and her mother is responsible-ish, but it feels like it's within the time of what's expected, right? I mean, the mom walks out on her daughter and said, and leaves her. The yeah. mom runs away from home. Yeah. And she is left alone for a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, whatever. But that's insane. They also brush by abortion. Yeah. Yep. And the fact that you could just say that out loud at the time, which you can't really say out loud anymore. You can't... When abortion was, you know, fresh off Roe versus Wade, and it was a new... Uh, it was now legal, and there used to not be a guilt associated with abortion. It there used is, to be... There shouldn't be any guilt. In this film, you see her say, uh, you know, telling the principal, I mean, she just went to go get an abortion, and her dad <laughs> handcuffed her. <laughs> You're like, oh, 1979. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a lot of skateboarding in this film, which... Yeah. Which, I liked it, but that's California, so. It is California. I think it was very of the era. That, that I mean, it was everywhere. I remember I have a, a scar on my chin from my childhood attempt at skateboarding, and right now you're bleeding from your hands and arms and knees <laughs> because you were just in a skateboarding accident right before we started the podcast. Yeah, I zoomed down that hill too fast and didn't turn quick enough. Mm-hmm. So how was that? And, and you're sitting on the, my white chair, so like you're going to bleed all over it. I've been bleeding for three hours. I think it's okay. While at work, at a restaurant, yeah. just dripping blood on the floor. Yeah, I was like, do you want me handing people their food with band-aids all over my hands? Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> Nobody wants to feel the pain in things anymore. For instance, I can feel the pain in things sometimes. There's a... One-eyed rooster, I know. Like some dog got to him and did a hole in his head. Back in this place my dad used to take me. He was into the outdoors. Some ranch, really, in Sierras. Bunch of stoner types, real spiritual heads, always in some full lotus, squatting their way to a new head or something. Which is really bullshit, because they're all these rock and rollers making lots of real heavy money, and they're all up in the hills. I said... There's pain in this rooster's head. And they go, too much Maya, man, too much Maya. Like, like pain's an illusion. Like it isn't even real. Christ, illusion, right? I wanted to laugh. It was, it was like some church for these guys sitting under these trees, you know? I did something really gross. My dad got so pissed. I let this guy's tea. Accidentally, right? This whole hot cup of hot tea fall down this guy's leg. <laughs> He's sitting there screaming and yelling. He said it wasn't mad at me, but it was a really stupid bitch thing to do. Boy. He stopped talking about pain being an illusion. One of the, there's another reason that I think that um, this movie's kind of pointless besides the fact that they're just teenagers that are just hanging out in L.A. doing nothing and how she's just talking and talking and how, you know, she is saying something and she's in pain. But it's just stories. It's not her being like, oh, this happened and now I'm sad because of it. It's her just being like, one time my dad took me here. And I remember he said to me, you know, Jeannie, 
life's life's crazy like it's just like <laughs> shut up but also the the whole movie was b-roll i swear to god it literally was just see, like footage of california like that's all it was but i'm so they barely like i feel like they barely even put anybody in, in there in there besides jodie foster during the b-roll like that's it i but see I am so grateful for that because if, because, well, as someone who's fascinated with history and LA history in particular, I think it's, I think it's interesting to go back. I think it's interesting to capture that. I mean, every, you know, there, there's little elements all throughout the film, like when they're in the grocery store and you see Shogun, the novel near the check stand, which was a huge, which was like a phenom of a novel that everyone was reading. Um, when they're in their uh, room and there's a Fiorucci, uh, I think that's how you say it. I didn't live here in LA at the time, but Fior, Fiorucci bag in the background, which was the store in Xanadu. It's in Xanadu because it was the place. Or when you see um, when you see the the guys that um, Annie was hanging out with from, I assume her time as a runaway. Right, they're the ones who always stir up trouble, right. and that. You know, they're just walking down Hollywood Boulevard, crossing the street, and he gets into a fight and kicks somebody who's, you know, in a convertible. I mean, that all of that, I don't know. Like, I appreciate the streets. I see the, the Lucky's Liquor, um, the looking and seeing what used to be a, a porno theater and seeing how dirty, like, we think, we, I mean, when you think of Hollywood now... Super seedy, right? It is dirty. But it was seedier then. I mean, it was really seedy. And I think, I mean, we see that in Valley Girl to some degree as well. In Less Than Zero. Yeah, yeah. Less like than a more, zero goes more glamorous off. places yeah. in Less Than Zero. Well, yeah, because they're rich. They're supposed to be rich, but. Well, I'm going to tell you something about the movie that I think will make it all make sense. So the idea behind the film was what if Little Women was written today, which, of course, would be in the mid-'70s. And that was the notion. And so if you think the characters' names even kind of correlate somewhat to, you know, they're not exactly the same names, but they, they, you know, Annie, Amy, um, Jeannie, Joe. And then it all kind of makes sense, right? Because Little Women is a coming-of-age story, and, and it's about these girls growing up, and that's what we get with foxes. It's very similar. Um, but really, you know, just reflecting what was going on at the time, like hitchhiking. So I did talk to a friend of mine who was, um, uh, who, who was in her early 20s uh, in 1980 when this film came out, and she said that, yeah, when she was a teenager, they hitchhiked all over L.A. all the time, starting around the age of, like, 14 or 15, they would just hitchhike everywhere. She said Mama Cass uh, picked her up once, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's just the way it was in L.A. So when we see today Annie hitchhiking, uh, and, you know, it would, it's instant alarm, instant how dumb are you. But then it was commonplace. Yeah. But the fact that um, there are adults in the, the movie who basically are out to sexually molest her or you know maybe they think that she'll be an active participant but whatever some sort of swingers again a moment right from the time where you've got like swingers who think that that's okay and they think oh we'll get some girl pick her up and well it's good they put that in a movie though just to like and that she died after that Mm -hmm. just to show like hey maybe people in california don't hitchhike if you're under the age of 25 (laughs) well or hitchhike at all i mean you know i I mean mean, that scene is so over the top oh i'm like great wildly drinking while i'm driving and they were not good actors 
years. That was that was not a a well-crafted scene. But and then when she crashed, she's just screaming like and it's just like black her black her. It's not like her blood everywhere. It's just like her screaming. Right, right, cuz that's the then you see what happens. Um Well, yeah. No. As a, but but that you can tell was written by a parent. Now see, at that moment, that becomes apparent doing some sort of cautionary tale that they hope, I'm going to put this in a teenage movie so they'll all learn not to hitchhike because you know what's going to happen? Someone's going to be drunk. You don't know. Or they're going to, like, do something and you could, like, get in a crash and die just because you hitchhiked. So I felt like, yeah, I see you. (laughs) I know what you're doing there. I get it. That was, like, the only thing in this movie that, like, that had a little uh, meaning to it. Well, I I, I think there's a greater... Point of view, though. I mean, you look at also um, Deirdre's parents. The only gig I know is Randy Deirdre <laughs> So, so you're the one who thinks he's hot. I do not. Oh, you said you want to go with him. I never said I want to go with him. I said I want to ball. <laughs> When Jeannie's talking about, oh, I slept with a couple of guys in ninth grade just because it was new, but I'm no dingbat like Deirdre. I'm no Susie slut. I thought that was a great line. But with Deirdre, you know, whatever's gone on, it seems like it might be coming from her mother, that her mother wants her to cut her hair in an unattractive hairstyle so that she'll quit pulling focus away from her with men. And that she has a stepdad and she, you know, but set, makes it clear that he's not part of the family unit. And she's so skinny. But whenever she's eating, right, what are all the things with eating with Deirdre? There's, you know, she's only buys a tiny thing of yogurt. And she makes sure to point out when she calls the guy she meets at the store, oh, there's, um, I'm the one who had a very small thing of yogurt, you know. She makes to point out how tiny it is. And then she says later she's on a diet. And when they sent her to the grocery store, she breaks down. You know, I'm the, always the one who has to go shopping. I'm like, I always thought that's such a weird scene. Yeah, well, yeah, because she she would bring them things that they don't like, and then she would be like, "Well, I don't know." I, I don't know that that's it. It was so out of character for her. I think it was about being in the position where she has to go get the food. I think she's uh, anorexic or bulimic. I think that's what it's getting at. Um, I mean, she's so thin, and then constantly talks about dieting and sleeps around, uh, looking. You know, so I, I think all of that, but, but what you see through all four of the girls is this relationship they have with their parents, but it sort of ends with this thing with Annie, with the hitchhikers, and it just shows you that they're all alone. Like, there's no adults really looking out for these girls. Even if they love them, no one is taking care of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Madge's older boyfriend, and by the way, where's Madge's dad? We never find out what's yeah. going on there. Yeah. So that might be part of the idea between the older boyfriend. Right. Daddy issues everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the music in the movie. So we got a little bit sick of On the Radio, which is the Donna Summer song we hear throughout. So much that I was like, what? Uh, so it I did- was funny because she told me before we said, she was like, people say the soundtrack on this movie is amazing. And it was just one song repeated well, over it, and over. Well, it was a again. few. I went back. They're just, maybe it's because we were watching at home rather than in movie theater. And they just keep playing On the Radio over and over again. Uh, but there's a reason behind that, which is that uh, it started with one record label having their own movie um, movie arm. And then they're developing this film, and then they decide they're not going to do it anymore. They're getting out of the movie business. And they wind up getting picked up by another record label that has a, um, a movie arm. 
And that's how it got made because this is the beginning. Now this is, it's still pre-MTV, but they're starting to get an idea that movies can be commercials, mm -hmm. that movies can basically promote your product. So the whole idea behind it, so Shares plays in the beginning. There's, um, is it Boston? I think there's a Boston song in there. And so you do hear different um, artists of, that are significant at the time being played in this movie. But clearly the idea was to launch that Donna Summer song, which it did. It did chart and did really well, and I remember it playing all the time um, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, well, it is Fox's 40th anniversary this year, so I, I hope that you find a way to see it uh, or see it again. It was very hard for us to find a copy very to hard. watch. And I, uh, I know I've heard TCM told me that they've been trying for years to get it, and they keep getting turned down. <laughs> I don't know if it's a music licensing thing or, or what's going on, but um, but anyway, you if you still have a video store or a DVD store in your area, they may have a copy. So I um, recommend that you hunt it down. But this is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook at 80s Movie. Thanks for listening.